Well, welcome. This is an incredible moment for our church family across all our campuses. And so we're excited through technology actually to be with our series campus in the series community center. And so excited for all of our campuses, online series and Modesto to be able to be together because this is an important moment as we have a special guest with us this weekend, David Brickner with Jews for Jesus. And he is going to be presenting Christ in the Passover. There is a brochure that you received when you came today, and I want to encourage you to utilize that brochure during the presentation. It'll be very helpful to you uh, to be able to follow along and to be tracking. But at this moment, I want to give a big Valley Grace warm welcome to David Brickner. Let's welcome him together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shalom. Shalom. It's so great to be back here at Big Valley Grace. It's been a number of years, but a special time on Palm Weekend to be able to share with you the story of Christ and the Passover. You know, Passover is the story of God's deliverance of the Jewish people from bondage and slavery in Egypt thousands of years ago. But today, as we look more closely at this ancient feast of redemption, you're going to see that God, in delivering Israel from bondage, from slavery in Egypt, wove into the very fabric of that story this picture of the greatest redemption of all. And of that redemption, you and I partake if we know Christ as our Savior, if we know the one who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So travel back with me in time to that first Passover story, which you'll find in the book of Exodus Exodus chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 15. Now, if you remember at this time, Israel was in bondage. We were in slavery in Egypt, and God had promised he was going to redeem us. And so he raised up Moses and sent him to the Pharaoh of Egypt to say, Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh wasn't exactly willing to listen to Moses, so God had to persuade him. And God can be very persuasive when he wants to be. You'll remember he persuaded Pharaoh to listen by sending a series of plagues on the land of Egypt, 10 plagues in all. Now, the Jewish people were living in a section of Egypt called Goshen, and they were automatically exempt from the first nine of those 10 plagues. So, for example, the Bible tells us when darkness fell across the land of Egypt as a plague from the Lord, there was nevertheless light in Goshen where the Israelites were dwelling. Or when God smote the cattle of the Egyptians, the cattle of the Israelites were spared. But not so with the tenth plague, the worst plague, the death of the firstborn. In order that that plague should not fall upon the Jewish people as well, God commanded them to take a lamb, one for each family. And that's where we pick up the story now, Exodus 12, beginning with verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they ate the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Now verse 11. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. So that is the historical institution of Passover. We know then that the first Passover was celebrated on the night of the 10th plague way back in the land of Egypt. But as God commanded, Israel was to continue to celebrate this Passover as a lasting ordinance. And so throughout our history, as we observe, there were various symbols and traditions that were added to the Passover to remind us of that first experience back in the land of Egypt. So that by the time Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Passover, most of the items that you see on the table before you today were already incorporated into that Passover. Now, of course, the most significant Passover that Jesus and his disciples observed was in that one, that one in the upper room in Jerusalem. The Last Supper was a Passover. So then how much more significant does this festival come to be for us who are believers in Jesus in light of all that was said and done on that night he was betrayed? And of course, we're still celebrating Passover every year in Jewish homes around the world. And Wednesday, this Wednesday night is the first night of Passover. Now, there's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into the celebration of Passover you might remember from the gospel accounts that Jesus even sent Peter and John ahead of him into the city of Jerusalem, saying, go prepare the Passover. Now, this preparation involves many different things, but most significantly doing exactly what we just read God commanded Israel to do back in the land of Egypt, which was to cleanse their houses of all leaven. Anything with yeast in it has to go. So that means that all your... Krispy Kreme donuts, you know, all your whole wheat and rye, all of it has to go. And because Passover comes during the time of the spring, this has also become a time of spring cleaning. And in the religious Jewish home, mom will begin cleaning the house weeks in advance. From floor to ceiling, everything is clean. But we have a problem. And the problem is that although it is usually the mother who does the cleaning of the house, the rabbis tell us only the father can certify the house has been properly cleaned. You can see what kind of a problem we have. <laughs> the rabbis knew the men would be hard-pressed to get the job done right by themselves, and they wanted to ensure peace and harmony in the home at Passover. So they got together and thought about this problem and came up with a solution which in Hebrew is called bedikat chametz, or the searching out of the leaven. And here's how it works. The night before Passover, mom already having cleaned the house will take a little bit of leaven that's left over, maybe crumbs from the toast they had for breakfast, something with yeast in it. She'll then hide that somewhere in the house. Now, the father coming home that evening will take in his hand a feather, a wooden spoon, 
and a napkin. He'll, he'll go on a GI inspection to search out the leaven, looking high and low for those crumbs. Now, if his wife has been good enough to him, she's hit it in the same place she hit it last year and the year before that. <laughs> so that when he finally finds the crumbs, he takes the feather and with a steady hand scrapes them into the spoon. Heavy house cleaning. Wraps the whole thing up in the napkin, and then in religious Jewish homes and neighborhoods, they still march off to the local synagogue. There's a bonfire burning in the courtyard. He takes this package, tosses it into the bonfire, recites a prayer, and so declares the house now properly cleaned. <laughs> An ingenious way for the men to get out of the house cleaning, right? <laughs> but you know something? The Apostle Paul actually makes a very specific analogy to this custom in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Paul says, your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out there for the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so we see from that passage that Paul points out leaven is not just something with yeast in it. In the Bible, it is a symbol for sin. And just as leaven is a symbol for sin, so then this unleavened bread, the matzah, which we eat at Passover, becomes a symbol of purity and righteousness before God. Now, ladies, I know you must be thinking it seems very unfair that you have to do all the hard work cleaning house and the man gets all the celebratory glory by declaring it clean. Well, ladies, you have your very own bit of glory, which actually ushers in the celebration of Passover. At this time, mom will take this book, which is called Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word. It means the story or the telling. And within this beautifully bound and, and beautifully illustrated book, you have all the ceremony and the story and the prayers associated with the Passover. Now, I don't have a Haggadah for each and every one of you, but as Pastor Joel mentioned, when you came in, you should have in your bulletin received this brochure. And if you'll take it out now, you'll notice there are some of the blessings that we're going to actually recite together as part of our observance of this Passover celebration. And uh, the very first blessing that is given is actually the mom's responsibility to light the Passover candles. And uh, this is an important part, ushering in the celebration. And so I'm going to light the candles and say the blessing in Hebrew. And then ladies, I want to invite you to join with me in reciting that blessing in English. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu Lahad Likner Shel Pesach Amen. Ladies, together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. Now, I think it is appropriate that it is the woman rather than the man who lights the candles and so brings light to the festival table because in the same way, it was not through a man. It was through a woman and the will of God that the light of the world came into the world. As the prophet Isaiah declared, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, a light 
to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. And at this time, our Passover celebration can begin. Now, Passover is observed primarily in the home around the family dinner table, and it's a time for all of the family to participate, but particularly the children are invited. And in fact, the youngest child is usually asked to recite four questions that really then serve as the explanation, the opportunity to unpack the meaning of the Passover. I'm going to recite that first question in Hebrew, and then all of us will recite it in English. Which means, why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And after reciting all four questions, the father then explains the meaning of Passover, the Magi, retelling the story because that's so important. From generation to generation, we are to explain how God delivered us, not just them, but us, all of us, from bondage and slavery in Egypt because if he had not redeemed our forefathers, we wouldn't be here today. And just as there are four questions that unpack the story of Passover, so you can see here there are four cups that actually serve as the outline for the Seder, the service itself. Now, each of us as we sit at the table has just one cup, but you see we drink from that cup four different times. Each time they're being given a different name and meaning to the cup. And so it's important for us, since Jesus celebrated this Passover, to understand these cups. And the first time he took the cup, it was called Kiddush, which literally means sanctification, because with the first cup, we sanctify all that is to follow, and there's a special Hebrew prayer that Jesus certainly would have said, and then our Lord said something directly related to that Hebrew prayer. I'll say it in Hebrew, and then you join me in English. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei Amen. Now together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And then Jesus said, it is with great desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you. But I tell you truly, I will not partake of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in the kingdom. So then with this cup, Jesus not only sanctified all that was celebrated in that upper room with his disciples, but he told us this Passover was looking forward to a new one in the kingdom. Everything is now blessed and sanctified. Everything has a particular order to it as well. Now, Seder is the Hebrew word for order. Passover is referred to as a Seder meal, and this is a Seder plate. And despite its appearance, it's not for deviled eggs. You notice the compartments on the Seder plate actually correspond to all the food items, the ceremonial food items in front of you, and a little bit of each one is placed on the plate. And the first that we have is called carpus, which is the Hebrew word for greens. And in this case, we're talking about parsley. And the greens, the rabbis tell us, represent life. And we will take some salt water, which represents the tears of life, we dip the greens into the salt water, and so we are reminded that during our slavery in Egypt, 
Our lives were immersed in tears. A life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. But we also remember that God redeemed us with a mighty outstretched arm. He brought us out of bondage through that salty Red Sea and into freedom. And so now by his mercy and grace, we partake of life redeemed from tears by the mercy and grace of Almighty God. The next item on the Seder plate. Horseradish. We call it Jewish Dristan. Guaranteed to unclog the sinus passages in the back of your head. Now the horseradish, or maror, as it's called in Hebrew, is the very bitter herb we read about in Exodus chapter 12. And it is to remind us, all of us, of the bitterness of our experience of slavery. And so what we do is we take some of the bread, the matzah, and we say the blessing over it. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam HaMotzi Lechem Min HaAretz Amen. Together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then we take this bread and we dip it into the horseradish, getting, oh, at least a teaspoon of it on there like this. And then... Not going to do it. <laughs> you know what happens when you eat this much horseradish? You begin to cry. <laughs> Very little choice in the matter. It's a battle between the horseradish and your sinuses, and the horseradish always wins. But you see, the tears that we are shedding right now during our Passover are a reminder of the tears our forefathers shed during their slavery in Egypt. And you might remember that when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he had said to them, one of you is going to betray me. Well, the disciples got all upset. They said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? And Jesus said, he who dips in the sop with me this night, that one will betray me. Do you remember that? Well, this is the sop that he referred to. And if you think about it, <laughs> Every one of the disciples dipped in that sop with Jesus. Every one of them. And you know what? Every one of them also betrayed him, didn't they? They all left him. Even Peter who said, oh, I'll never, never. Three times. He denied he even knew him. And we need to remember that just as much as we, all of us, have at different times let the Lord down. Even a Peter who denied him three times was welcomed back. If you're here today and you feel like you've let the Lord down, that's a bitterness. That's a bitterness. But the good news is that even as Jesus beckoned to that apostle who denied him three times, so he welcomes each and every one of us if we return but there was one who did not return. And you remember Jesus later that evening himself took this bread with the sop and he handed it to Judas Iscariot saying to him, what you must do, go and do quickly. And the Bible tells us that when Judas took the bread with the sop, Satan entered into him and he went out of the night and did not return. Return return. 
The next item on the Seder plate is called Cha-ro-seth. Can you all say that? Cha-ro-seth. Not bad, but you do have to get the in there. <laughs> Just don't look at your neighbor when you say it, all right? Now, charoseth is a sweet mixture. There's chopped apples, nuts, honey, raisins, cinnamon. It's delicious, but it represents the mortar that we used to make bricks for Pharaoh during our slavery in Egypt. Kind of looks like mortar, and so you might ask the rabbi, well, now, wait a minute, rabbi. If, if charoseth represents mortar for bricks, which was bitterness, toil to our people, why is this stuff so sweet? Ah, the rabbi will say, because you see, even the bitterest of our toils grew sweet when we knew that our redemption drew near. And so we take some of the unleavened bread and, and we dip it again, this time into the charoseth and maybe getting a double portion of it on there. What we find is that as we eat this mixture, that bitter taste left in our mouths from the horseradish, it just disappears in the sweetness of the charoseth which is a graphic reminder that even the bitterest things that we have to face in this world are sweetened by the hope and promise of God's redemption. This is Hazaret, the bitter root itself, a horseradish root, but if you don't have one of those, an onion will suffice because this is merely symbolic. Resting on the Seder plate, the horseradish root is, of course, what you use to make the maror, but the root sits on the plate to remind us that it's not just our experiences in life that make it bitter. It is the very root of life itself that causes bitterness. And though today the rabbis no longer teach the concept of original sin, they don't. They've given up on that doctrine. The Bible clearly tells us that we have a root of bitterness, that sin nature. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't talking about her past. He was talking about the reality that each and every one of us have a root of bitterness. But the, all, the scriptures also say that if anyone is in Christ, what? He's a new creature. And that is good news indeed. Now the last two items on the Seder plate are the only two on this table that were not present when Jesus celebrated in the upper room. And you'll understand why in just a minute. Now this is Hagiga. As you can see, Hagiga is a brown egg that has been hard boiled. And Hagiga was actually the name given to the sacrifice made in the temple at Passover. So this egg represents that sacrifice. And we peel it, slice it, and before we eat the slice, we dip it into the salt water, which represents tears because we are mourning the fact that this is a memorial to a sacrifice that can no longer occur because you see there is no temple it was destroyed in fulfillment of the prediction of Jesus himself not a generation after his prediction Titus and his Roman legions marched into Jerusalem destroying the city destroying the temple and from that day until this very present day there has been no sacrifice. And so because of that, my people mourn that loss. In fact, because of that very thing, many of the rabbis teach now we can no longer have lamb at Passover. The very centerpiece of our redemption story, the lamb 
is no longer present on most Jewish Passover tables. And this last item is the Zeroah, which is the shank bone of a lamb, reminding us of those lambs so central to that first Passover back in the land of Egypt, but now sadly absent. We read about them in Exodus chapter 12. God commanded that we take a yearling male lamb without spot, without blemish, without any broken bone. We were to take that lamb and sacrifice it. Which, of course, reminds us of another perfect Passover lamb who, contrary to Roman custom, did not have his legs broken when he hung on the cross. And so did Jesus fulfill picture and prophecy concerning the lamb. Not a leg, not a bone was broken. We come now to the second cup, which is called the cup of plagues. And we don't drink from this cup right away, but rather dip our finger in the cup and drop a drop on the plate in front of us, one for each of the 10 plagues God visited on the land of Egypt. You remember those 10 plagues? There was blood. There was hail. There was locusts. There was boils. There was cattle disease. There was darkness. There was death. Nine times Pharaoh hardened his heart, and each time God sent a plague on the land of Egypt. But the tenth plague was the worst of all, the death of the firstborn. Now God told the children of Israel to take the blood of that sacrificed lamb in a basin to go outside and to apply it to the doorposts of their houses, putting it on the top lintel and the two side posts. Blood of the lamb on the top lintel and the two side posts, making the sign of a cross with the blood of the lamb on that doorpost. That night death flew through the land of Egypt. There was weeping and wailing as never before till Pharaoh cried out, let them go or I'll die. But everywhere that the blood of the lamb was on the top lintel and the two side posts, death passed over that house. And so redemption came that night to the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. Now because I believe in Jesus as my Messiah, and because I have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of my heart, when death comes to visit me, death is going to pass over me also because I have eternal life. Oh, praise God for that. This is called a matzah tosh. Matzah being the bread, unleavened bread, tosh meaning bag or pouch. And this is a bag actually for three pieces of bread, each in its own section or compartment. And the rabbis tell us that the matzotash represents a unity because there are three pieces of bread in one bag, three in one. And yet there's a great deal of disagreement among the rabbis as to which unity it is this matzotash represents. Writing in the Haggadah, one rabbi tells us, well, it represents the unity of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Another says, no, it represents the unity of worship in Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the people. And so on goes several more explanations. Well, I believe the matzotash does represent a unity. But I believe the matzotash represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's why. During a particular time of the Passover, we will reach into the second or middle compartment of the matzotash. Now you can ask the rabbi, why do we take the second piece and leave the first and third pieces hidden? And the answer is, 
We don't know. <laughs> it's tradition. But there are three things that are always true about this piece of bread. First of all, it's flat like a cracker because there's no leaven in it. We've talked about that. And when we make it, we use a special device to poke holes in the bread. So all matzah is also similarly, if you can see the flame of the candle, it's pierced. And then baked at a high temperature, these stripes are on all matzah, unleavened, striped, and pierced. Even as our sinless Messiah was striped by the Roman whips, pierced by the nails and his hands and feet and the spear in his side, as predicted 700 years beforehand by the prophet Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our diseases. By his stripes we are healed. We take this middle piece and we break it. The broken piece is now put inside the afikoman bag, a bag a linen bag, afikoman meaning it comes later because that's exactly what happens with this second piece. Broken, wrapped in a linen bag, it is now taken outside of the room of celebration to be hid for a time, buried if you will. And this is such an important part of the Passover, the entire celebration cannot be completed without that second piece. And we'll get back to that in just a bit. But I'm curious, how many of you have never been to a Passover before? Wow, well, if you should have the opportunity, I encourage you to go. You'll really enjoy yourself, but let me warn you, eat lightly that day or not at all because you're really in for a meal. <laughs> I want to assure you, Passover is much more than parsley and horseradish. We eat and we eat. Unfortunately, that's the part I forgot to bring with me here this evening. And in lieu of that sumptuous meal, I'm going to lead you through a tradition, which is not particularly a Passover tradition. But when you came in, you'll notice this brochure has three panels. What I'd like to do is to invite you to participate with me in an ancient Jews for Jesus tradition, which begins by folding it along that perforation. And it's called the ceremonial tearing of the brochure together at the count of three. And just to show you how much Jewish culture you've absorbed, I'm counting in Hebrew. Amazingly, you'll know when to rip. Here comes the count. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. All right. Now, we want you to take this part of the brochure home with you to remember our time together. But if you'd fill this card out and drop it in one of the boxes at the door as you leave, we'd love to send you our Jews for Jesus monthly newsletter. Some of you already get that newsletter. Fill it out anyway and check the box that says, I already get your newsletter. And we won't send you two newsletters, but I do want to send each and every one of you a wonderful prayer guide because there's something that's happening in Jews for Jesus this year that we really need your prayers about. And I have a little video that I'd like to show you about, that will tell you about what God is doing right now. We're so excited about it. Let's take a look at that video. Jews for Jesus started as a slogan, but by 1973, it had officially become a thriving evangelistic ministry. Jewish people with a passion to share the good news that our Messiah has come. Over the last 50 years, Jews for Jesus has proclaimed the gospel in some of the biggest Jewish communities around the world, from South Africa to Budapest, from New York to Jerusalem. We stand as living proof that it is possible to be Jewish and believe in Jesus. 
And by God's grace, tens of thousands of Jewish people across the globe have now met their Messiah too. In the Hebrew scriptures, God instructed the people of Israel to declare every 50th year as a Jubilee, an appointed time for liberty to be proclaimed, debts forgiven, property returned, and slaves set free. That's why this year, during May, June, and July, Jews for Jesus will be sharing the message of liberty and Messiah to 20 different Jewish communities all at the same time. This will be the most comprehensive global outreach we've ever conducted, with hundreds of missionaries and volunteers sharing the good news across the world. And we can't do it without you. Most Jewish people still have never heard the message that Jesus is their Messiah, the very one who came to set the captives free to fulfill the true meaning of Jubilee. Will you join with us to declare liberty to those in bondage, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted? Together, we can reach the Jewish people with the good news of the year of Jubilee. So if you fill out this brochure and drop it at the door, we will send you our newsletter if you don't yet get it, but we'll also send you a special prayer guide, and then we'll also send you a follow-up report on all the things that God is going to be doing with those 20 different groups of people. I don't have the time to share with you all that's going on, but at the back table, there are a couple of items. This is a brochure that gives you more information, and there's even a bookmark that has the 20 different uh, key audiences that we're going to be reaching out in the months of May, June, and July to. So go back at that table. You'll see Laura Pineda, who's one of the Jews for Jesus team, and she has a table back there that's full of free literature. Help yourself. And then there's the other table that has the not-so-free material, and you probably want to talk to Laura before helping yourself there, but we have lots of good stuff. If you've been enjoying hearing about the Passover, this book is a wonderful book. It's called Christ and the Passover, and it brings you back all this information and tells you even more about what God is doing in this Passover story, this story of redemption. We certainly appreciate your prayers and welcome your participation in the ministry of Jews for Jesus. I'll be at that table after the service to greet you as well, so please come by and say hello. Now, we've come through the meal of Passover. I hope you've all had enough to eat. Because this last part is the most important for we as followers of Jesus to understand. Towards the end of the meal, the head of the house will say to all the children, go search for the afikomen. Now that's that second piece, broken, wrapped in a linen cloth. And this is a great time of fun, especially for the children. They didn't see where it was hidden, and so they get to go and get up from that big meal and run around and look for it, because the child who finds it receives a reward. Bringing it back to the head of the house, rewarding the child, the father then stands and continues the ancient ceremony of the matzotash and the afikomen. Unwrapping the bread, he begins by breaking off small pieces, which he hands to everyone seated at the table. Everyone now receives a piece of this bread. And does this remind you of anything? You see, brothers and sisters, if the matzotash represents the unity of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why is that middle piece broken, buried, and brought back? Or if it represents the unity of worship, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel, why is that middle piece broken, buried, and brought back? But 
If the Matsutash represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we know why. It's because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was broken in death, wrapped in a linen cloth, buried in the tomb, and then brought back, resurrected by the power of God, conquering sin, conquering death. Oh, hallelujah. So that it is no wonder that Jesus took this very bread and broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you see the picture? (laughs) What a powerful picture of God's redemption through the body of Messiah. But it wasn't just the body, was it? It was the blood of Messiah. And so we take now the third cup. The third cup is taken right after the afikomen. The third cup is the cup of redemption, reminding us of the redemption God brought our forefathers from Egypt and looking forward to the redemption when Messiah comes. Jesus raised this third cup. Remember the cup after supper, it's called. The cup of redemption. And declared, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That new covenant, which was promised by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, has now been fulfilled in the body and blood of the Messiah Jesus. Jesus spoke of a fulfillment of this Passover And then he told us how it would happen. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see how God wove into the very fabric of this story the picture of the greatest redemption of all? And of that redemption, you and I partake if we know Christ as our Savior. If we have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of our hearts. Jesus is our Passover Lamb. Hallelujah. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's exactly how Passover concludes. We have a big say-so celebration. Singing hymns from the Jewish national hymnal. You all have copies, don't you? (laughs) The Psalms. And Psalms 113 through 118 are called the Hallel, that is the praise psalms. The conclusion of this great Passover is the reciting of the great Hallel, Psalm 118, which declares the stone which the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Imagine Jesus reciting those words just before leaving that upper room. And the Bible tells us that he did. They sang a hymn. But before they left, they would have taken the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise, which together with the hymns of praise conclude the Passover. And all over the world, Jewish people on Wednesday night will raise up this cup and declare, Leshana haba Berushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. You see, there is a hope of the coming of Messiah that we will celebrate together with him in that ancient city. And every year my people raise up this cup and every year they wonder, is he ever gonna come? And therein lies the burden of my heart and that of Jews for Jesus. So many of my people will celebrate this feast just as you've seen it, but not know its fulfillment. My hope and prayer that in our being together this evening, you might not only be enriched in your understanding of your heritage 
and the story of Passover fulfilled in the Lamb, but that in a greater way you might share this burden with us. For brothers and sisters, we are not like those of my people who do not know and so wait, but because we know him, we wait with great hope and anticipation. For the scriptures tell us as long as you eat this bread and as long as you drink this cup, as often you show forth the Lord's death until he come again. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now let me bless you with a blessing that comes from the Hebrew scriptures. In Numbers chapter six, God gave this blessing. The priests, he said, bless my people with this blessing and they will be blessed. First in Hebrew and then in English. Would you bow your heads, please? Yoher Adonai Panavalecha Vikuneka Yisa Adonai Panavalecha Vyoseim Lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Bashem Yeshua Mishichenu Sar HaShalom. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shalom. Shalom.